you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you who are here and who are online. Glad that you're here. Uh, we say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to do that by living out values in our lives, by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than what makes sense in our life, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's why we want to be. Uh, just a few announcements for you. I told 9 o'clock this earlier, uh, they cried a little bit. I don't think you guys are going to cry, but this is the last week that we're doing two services, so next week, you're not even going to care, because you, you come at 10.30, just, we're going to have a ten, our one service at 10.30, um, go forward from there. Hopefully, like, look, I don't know what 2020 holds here, so I would like to say that this is the way we're going to stay, but I have, I have no idea, so we'll just go from there. Second announcement is that we're having a cleaning day here on October 17th. You don't even have to be skilled in cleaning. We'll just take anybody to just come and just wipe some things down. So uh, we'll have an online registration. You can find it through our Facebook or website even, I believe. Uh, you also get some registration things via text if you subscribe to our texting service to get information. And then lastly, we have a mission team that's going to be heading to West Virginia here shortly, and they're going to do a coat drive to give coats to people who need it, and so that can be an adult coat or a child coat. If you have extra coats laying around, just know that we'd love to take them from you. You can bring them here next week. All right, we are in week four of James, the book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus. We're in chapter one. We're going to start in verse 19 today, so feel free to flip there. We've walked through this idea of trials, and that even trials can be considered a good gift from the Lord uh, because it increases our understanding of, of that God is good. He's there with us in the middle of them, and, and we can be even joyful in the midst of that. So today we're going to kind of turn our attention to, to speaking and hearing and doing James is going to have a lot for us here today. So would you just join me? Let's pray before we start. Father, we come before you today. We just uh, admit that uh, as, as a people, we often, we don't know what's wise. We don't know what's good. Uh, but we recognize that your word is good and flourishing and wise. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would use it today to speak into our life, to bring knowledge and wisdom to our life. Help us to be humble. And your spirit would convict us where we need to grow and so, Lord, we just love you. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So there's, there's this word that kind of gets thrown around uh, amongst teachers and pastors. It's a big word. It's called contextualization. Uh, I just, I think it gets thrown around a little bit because pastors, we just want to look smart. And so we just make up big words like vivification and mortification and sanctification and contextualization. Obviously, there needs to be more vacation in pastor's life because they just make up weird stuff. And so contextualization is this idea of reading scripture with context. So what it would mean is that what is good and helpful and right is when you're reading or teaching scripture that you would look at that passage and study it looking at all of the other scripture and passages around it. That is to put it in its context. Don't pull it out of its context. Keep it in its context. So that's contextualization as well as like, who wrote this? 
Who's receiving it? What's happening in that world at that time? What is historical? And then we keep the story of God, the theme of God, of reconciliation. We keep that in mind as we read through our scriptures. And so we contextualize scriptures into that. But there's a second part of contextualization. I'm just trying to say that word as many times as I can to convince you that I'm smart. The second part of contextualization is taking Scripture and applying it to our lives. So you could say it this way. I'm taking the Word and I'm putting it into the context of my life. That is contextualization. Now, what is super important is to have a healthy tension when we take anything from Scripture and try to put it into the context of our world in our day is to make sure that the context of that Scripture meets the context of our life. It is dangerous to pluck out verses of Scripture that are meaning a different thing and try to put them into our life to sort of justify our opinions, to justify our desires, to justify our wants. Sometimes we look at Scripture and we skim through its pages and we look for words, we look for phrases that will give us support, that will give us defense, that will align with our beliefs. And that can be very very dangerous. And so, for instance, as an example, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in James 1. There's this verse that says, but let him ask with faith, in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave that is driven and tossed by the wind. For anybody who doubts will not receive what they want. That's sort of paraphrasing. And so we know, based upon context, that that means, A, that when we ask God, we should believe that he's good and he wants to reward his people with wisdom. And number two is that when we ask, let's ask with faith, believing, look, look, Jesus is the only thing that matters. And James writes that in the midst of early Christians who are there before the church explodes. This is before the non-Jews we call Gentiles kind of came into the church. These are early, early Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And he's saying to them in the midst of this, hold on. And when you don't know what to do, ask for wisdom from the Lord and he will give it generously to you. And that's great encouragement for us if we read that. Like when we're in trials, that we can trust God, that he's good. And if we don't know what's going on, we can seek his wisdom. He wants to give us that wisdom. We just ask with faith. Now here's where contextualization gets really bad. There are teachers, we'll call prosperity teachers, who would take this same verse and they'll say, hey, the reason that you don't have a bigger house, the reason why you're not healthy, the reason why you're suffering, the reason that you don't have more money is because you lack faith. And if you actually had faith, you would have those things. Look at me. I've got a big house. I've got a car. My faith is big. And I don't have enough time today to tell you how wicked that is. It's a wicked belief. That is taking text of Scripture, and it's decontextualizing it, because I wanted to make that word bigger. It is not reading it in the right context, and it is making it very, very dangerous. The context of that is people in trial getting wisdom, not understanding that God is your genie, that if you have enough faith, he's going to give you what you want. And so we would like affirm with all that we have that yes and amen, that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and instructing. But, and this is a huge but, not every scripture is applicable to your situation. 
Not every scripture is applicable to your desire or your want or your opinion or your agenda. It's not. We can't look through scripture and just find support like we're looking through a dictionary. We can't find ways to justify ourselves. We have to remember this, and this is the single, maybe most important thing I'll say today. The only thing that scripture justifies is Jesus. It doesn't justify us. We are justified by Christ. The single central person that scripture is about is God. It is not about us. It's understanding who he is and what he's like and what he's done and what he's had for us. It reveals to us who we aren't. The story of scripture is not about us. It's not a dictionary that we can look for definitions and meanings for for self-help principles and nor is it ammunition to use to defend ourselves. And why we talk about contextualization today is is twofold. Because in James, we will find that when we read the word in its context, in its right place, and it matches up with the context and situations of our life, it is beyond powerful. I love the psalmist David writes his very first psalm, Psalm 1. He writes this about the word of God. He said, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit and season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prosper. And so when we read the word and we understand the right context of it and we meditate on it and we put the right application of that word into our life, it is like we are trees planted by streams of water. We flourish and we are well sustained. And the second reason why we talk about contextualization is because James actually takes us there today. James addresses this in this passage. James is going to challenge us to stay humble and listen to God's word more than thinking and talking to the word saying, here's what I want you to say. He's going to ask us to listen to the word, to not approach it talking, because it can be said that there are far too many who know just enough scripture to be dangerous. And that's true of my, my life. I, I'm a, a person, and maybe you figured this out about me by now, but I know a little bit about a lot of things. And particularly, I'm sorry, farmers in the room, because I'll come up to you. I'm going to talk to you about milk lines and, and things that, you, that I have no idea, but I'm, I'm doing it because I want to look like I know what's going on. I know just enough to be dangerous, so don't invite me to drive your combines. It will go terrible for you. I know just enough to be dangerous. And that's what Paul, or not Paul, but James is going to lead us. Sometimes we know just enough Scripture to be dangerous. And we hear Scripture often, but it doesn't affect what we do. And there's a caution in that as well. And so let's go ahead and get into James today. We'll start in verse 19 in chapter 1. James writes this, Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. And so we remind ourselves that we're reading this after James gives this incredible encouragement to those who are facing trials. Encouragement to say, hey, you can consider it joy, right? In the midst of those trials, because God is with you. This is before everything explodes. And James is saying that to these early Christians that you can keep going. But then he turns and he says, let's talk about listening and hearing and anger and doing. And so here's what I want you to see in this early, is, is James writing to those in hardships and trials and difficulties, he's saying to them, what is most natural in you is to get angry. In those trials, in those times where you're oppressed, when you're fearful, what is natural to you is to bend towards being angry and then to begin to live and act out of that anger. But I have something different. God reminds us of a different wisdom. That's not who we are. In light of who God is and what he has done for us, that is not who we are. That is not who Christ is. And so he says, no, my beloved brothers, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we should remember that in this time, there is not the written word. James is the first document that the early church would have had. So all of the teachings of Jesus would have been oral. They would have gone to house church to house church, and you would have had to remember them. And so while it is good wisdom to be slow and talking and quick, it's probably me, and quick in, or quick in listening and slow in speaking, James is not saying, hey, put this principle in your life. You'll live better by just listening more and being angry. James says that the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. And in fact, James says that we ought to put that away as if we're taking off a cloak, that we ought to rid ourselves from that and listen to the implanted word of God which saves our soul. So this phrase, implanted word, comes from a promise that God made his people before the Messiah that there would be a day in which his word, his law, would be written on our hearts. And so we find it, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 31, in verse 33, this is what Isaiah says. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit that would come after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, that God would come to live with his people. In the Old Testament, in the age of the temple, God's presence resided in the temple, in the holies of holies. But we, when we read Scripture, know that when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was ripped from the top down, symbolizing this, that God doesn't live in buildings. He lives with his people. 
And he, inside of us, interacts with the Word of God and brings those words to life. And that is true of them back then, and that is true of us today. And so what seems to be the catalyst for people's anger are people coming to the flourishing Word of God and doing their own talking to it and not listening to what it has to say. Approaching the Word in a way that I have a desire to be right, to, to be defended or supported, instead of coming to it and actually listening what the Word has to say and meditating on it. And so you could read this nugget of, of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You could actually read it backwards and gain even more wisdom. That if you're burning with anger, it's probably because you're doing more talking and assuming about God than you are listening. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so is James saying that all anger is sinful and unrighteous? Is it wrong for me to get angry? Well, that's not exactly what he's saying in this. He's saying that anger that comes out of a man or woman, you and I, fallen humanity, that is unrighteous. Why is it unrighteous? Because it centers around us, ourselves. It comes from our pride. It comes from our fears. It comes from our worries. That is an anger that doesn't lead to righteousness. It actually creates division. And there are all sorts of scriptures in your Psalms and your Proverbs that talk about us keeping a hold of our anger, dealing with our anger. We can look at Proverbs 29, 11, And it says, a fool gives full wrath a full vent to his spirit, but a man, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And we might say, well, I know that there's anger in the Bible. I've seen Jesus. And, and we'll look at scriptures in Matthew and Mark where Jesus comes into the temple and there are people in there selling goods and services and he's upset and he flips over the tables and he makes a scene and we say, yeah, look, Jesus got angry and so it's okay. I'm justified in getting angry. But we get, you have to remember, like, look, Jesus is fully God, and he's fully human. And the reasons for his anger were actually righteous, because Jesus' anger came from a diminishing of God's holiness and God's goodness. Jesus' anger came out of grief of people diminishing his holiness and his goodness. And so, yes, there is a thing called righteous anger, but it happens slowly, over time, as people and things diminish God's goodness and His holiness, it's an anger that's filled with grief and tears far more than it is with hostility. But you and I both know that that's not the anger that we fall into most often. Our anger most often is not righteous anger. Our center around ourselves, not on God. And James is saying, get rid of that. Like you've got to take it off. It's not good for you. It, it's not leading to righteousness in God. And then James sort of takes it up another step here after he says, I want you to listen. Be quick to listen. But he's saying, just don't hear. Do. You have to hear to do. And James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And you might ask, well, what is he saying? What is he asking? Deceiving yourself. What does that mean? Well, it's this deception to think that one can be a disciple of Jesus in only hearing, but never doing. Like, there's no levels. There's no levels in following Jesus. There are levels of maturity, but there is no level in which you can be a follower of Jesus and not be his disciple. 
you can't just have an intellectual knowledge that doesn't come out in the way that you live and care for people. You deceive yourself to think that you're a believer if that is the case. And so James is echoing, and he does this all the time in the book of James, he's echoing the teachings of his half-brother Jesus, who in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7, writes this or says this in the midst of his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And so James and Jesus are saying the same thing. You cannot simply hear about the Son of God and it not show up in the way that you live. It's not possible to understand what Christ has done for us what he offers to us, and leave it in the realm of intellectual knowledge. It has to affect the way that we live. And James describes this person very interestingly. He describes this kind of person as somebody who looks in the mirror with their natural face and then walks away and forgets who they are. And so in this time, we have to remember that mirrors are scarce. This isn't just like what you and I would do. I grab my keys, grab my coffee, look in the mirror, check my collar, make sure there's nothing in my teeth. Like this is, a mirror would be about beautification. And so behind this idea of mirror, it would be like a, a young woman who is wanting to attract a spouse. And they look in the mirror at every single detail of their being, looking for their flaws and their imperfections so that they can address them and adorn, adorn themselves better. James is saying that the Word of God is like a mirror that reveals to us our flaws and our imperfections. And to look at that word and then to walk away and forget who you are, that is foolish. That is foolish. And then he says, blessed is the one that looks at this word. He calls it the perfect law of liberty. The one that looks at Jesus and continues to look in that mirror as one who is fully examining themselves richly, looking for all the flaws and the imperfections in my life that I might take on something even more beautiful than myself, that I might fully adore my, adorn myself with the love and the life of Christ. And Jesus says, blessed is the one, or James says, blessed is the one that does that. There's a commentary writer uh, that, that writes it, this way, uh, he says, i got to find it here, that, that the one who continues in taking time to see and examine the state of his soul, the grace of his God, the extent of his duty, and the height of the promised glory, that is the one that is blessed. And so context, context, context matters so much when we hear this. All right, so let's, James 1 Consider it joy, like you're in a trial. I know it, it's hard, but you know what? The Lord is good. Don't look at your circumstance, look at the, the Lord, and if you lack wisdom, seek Him, ask Him by faith, listen to Him, just listen to Him. Don't talk 
to him like you know what's going on, listen to him, and then listen, when the world comes at you and you feel like you're being steamrolled and put down and pressed down, don't grow angry. That's what you're going to want to do. But that doesn't produce righteousness in you. And there are going to be people that are going to want to incite you and and stir you up into rebellion and strife and to anger. But those individuals are people who have done far more talking and assuming they know just enough to be dangerous than they are listening to who I am and what I've done and how I live and what that means to you. They have examined themselves poorly and they have forgotten themselves. They have forgotten themselves and what, and more importantly, they've forgotten what God has done and who he is. And then James ends this wonderful passage by talking about religion. And when he talks about religion, it's not sort of the religion that we sort of put it in today. This is about worship, what we adore, what we, you know, that relationship that we have with the Father. And James writes, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so James is saying, like, your walk with God is useless if it doesn't translate into the way that you live and the way that you treat others. It's useless if it doesn't translate into the way that you live and the way that you treat others. Many are deceived in their own heart regarding the reality of their walk with the Lord. Our relationship with Jesus and his word is far less concerned with fighting against the powers and the structures of the day and being thrown up and incited into anger as it is to be a servant of the world through charity and self-sacrificial love. There is something beyond powerful when we read the scripture in its context And that context matches our life. Because I don't have to tell you that 2020 has been probably the biggest trial of your life. And I don't have to tell you that you have been incited in some way to be angry and to be upset and to rebel. And James is saying that if you want to pull yourself there and if you are being pulled there by others, You have forgotten yourself. You have forgotten yourself. You have done more talking and assumption than you have done listening. You have looked in the mirror at the Word of God and you have sized yourself up wrongly. You have sized yourself up wrongly. That is a powerful word for us today, right now. Can we be humble enough to listen to the word of God and not say, well, I wanted to say this and I want to figure out how I can get around it, but to listen to the word of God, to use the mirror. And quite frankly, there are people in this world that, yes, they're looking at the mirror and they're seeing themselves wrongly, but there are some of us who aren't even looking in the mirror. We're not even looking at the perfect implanted word of God and we're claiming very dangerously that we know what God wants for us. James, time and time again in this scripture, 
is trying to rescue us from ourselves. Do you see that? Like he's trying to rescue us from ourselves and he's trying to put us face to face with what's ours by faith. Like he's saying, you don't have to be fearful in your trial. You can actually consider it joy because you're trusting the one who's the author of the trial and my goodness never changes. So you can have joy in that trial. And you maybe feel like that you're unwise for this moment in your life, but you don't have to be unwise. Like the Lord will give you wisdom beyond reproach. He will generously give those things to you if you ask in faith. And here James is saying again, he's like, you don't, you don't have to be angry. You, you don't have to be angry because you can trust the one who's beyond it all. You can trust the one who's the author of it all. Be quick to listen to him and slow your speech down. Would you pray with me? Father, we just approach your word uh, and we say thank you. Sometimes it's not the wisdom that we want to hear, but it's the wisdom that we need to hear. And so, Lord, I pray today, um, Lord, if there's anger in our hearts that's centered on our pride, that's centered on our selfishness, that's not centered around a diminishing of your goodness, that isn't filled with grief and tears but hostility, Lord, I pray that you would eradicate that from our life, that we would lay that down at your feet, that we would see the suffering servant that died at the hands of a violent, hostile world that took the shame of our sin. Father, just speak to our hearts today. Humble us, we pray. And we pray this through the amazing name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.